Hi, this is James. Just before we start, I wanted to remind you that you can read our articles, explore more podcasts, and learn about our online personal and management development programs and workshops by visiting our website, www.worldofwork.io. All right, on to the podcast. Hi, everyone. This is James. And Jane. And welcome back to another episode of the World of Work podcast. Um, today, we're going to be talking about innovation and uh, doing a bit of an introduction, looking a little bit at some different types of information and reflecting a little bit on culture and leadership for innovation. Um, as ever, you can get in touch with us on our website. You can check us out at www.thewowpodcast.org or you can uh, you can tweet us on... You can tweet us at The Wow Podcast. Yeah, lovely. Cool. So, yeah, as I said, innovation is going to be the focus for uh, today. We're going to talk about um, definitions as we usually do. We'll do a bit of a research roundup. We've got a list of the week for you, which is traits of highly innovative people. Uh, we'll be sharing a few personal stories from our, our working lives in stories from a keyboard and a couple of final thoughts, and then we'll check out. Um, but before we get into that, let's just uh, check in. How have you been doing? What have you been up to? I am all right, thank you. I am uh, having a week of self-reflection of realising that sometimes I need to listen to my own advice. Yeah. Uh, I've tried to cram a bit too much in oh. for next week and I can already see it coming around the corner yeah. but aside from that I'm really really good Good. saying no is a hard one isn't it right sometimes it's hard to say no to stuff oh, I'm so beyond bad at saying no to stuff because it's shiny I know it's shiny new. new stuff isn't it right you just bounce over and the frustration is that normally um, before I before I sort of went on this journey of transitioning a little bit into different work uh, my work was pretty straightforward I was kind of knew where I was with it yeah so whereas now all the things I'm doing are nice new shiny interesting things so I need to just say no because I don't have to do them all at the same time yeah it's hard to say no isn't it it's really hard I'm just not very good at it but it means you've got lots of fun stuff to do so it's great that, that we've uh... very true what about you what have you been up to uh, so I came back from the states earlier this week of course we yeah, recorded yeah, across yeah. the trans yeah, across yeah. the waters across didn't the we last yeah, time yeah um, so I came back and um, I've just been kind of settling back in. I've only been back for uh, two days. So seeing people and settling back into what I've been doing. So it's nice. Getting the body clock back. Getting the body clock back. Uh, so I feel us. pretty much back on Scottish time. Getting used to the darkness. Are we going to do a podcast on transatlantic relationships at some point? We Work probably should. That would be kind of fun. Um, that would be good. Okay. So shall I get started then yeah. on definitions? That would be great. We've got a few in here and some of them might not at first glance. Uh, be that familiar to you but I'll try and uh, talk them through as easy as possible so we'll start with the basics um, what is innovation well it's according to the def- uh, to Oxford D- dictionary it is the introduction of new things ideas or ways of doing something so pretty straightforward um, the Cambridge dictionary talks about disruption which we're going to talk about a little bit more later as an interruption in the usual way that a system process or event works which I think is quite interesting because actually it's not that different to innovation it's not, as it? a definition. And it doesn't imply that that interruption is in any way uh, violent or particularly mag- of, of a large magnitude. Yeah, it's either. not really scalar, is it, in the way that we think about it? No, not at all. Um, so then this, we're going to get on some slightly more complicated ones. Um, disruptive or primary innovation. And... Uh, this is from Wikipedia, an innovation that creates a new market and value network and eventually disrupts an existing market and value network, displacing established market-leading firms, products and alliances. And many of you listening will be really familiar um, with that concept in the world, if not with the phrase or the word, because we're seeing it around us constantly at the moment with new products and services coming onto the market and completely changing the way we interact with that market. Yeah. So whether it's about... Um, financial models of subscriptions whether yeah. it's about uh, the technology we're using to in- access them or whether it's about completely different products because they w- the, the technology didn't exist to give us those products before um, we are consistently seeing companies that did not exist in any way before being the market leaders very yeah, quickly really quickly I mean. and, and maybe they're not quickly from coming from startup point of view but certainly they're moving within the public consciousness and they're grabbing that that yeah. monopoly or virtual monopoly of a, of a market sector very quickly. Yeah, and the scale of them is phenomenal at, at the age that they are. So Google's like, what, 20 years old now? And the scale of growth there and the scale of disruption and impact on the world is phenomenal. Yeah. It is, and I think it's probably very short-lived. I, I cannot believe that, as a society, the, the Western world is going to, or the 
the industrial or the technological world is going to sit there and allow this state of affairs. I just can't imagine that someone will be allowed to sit there with that level of dominance. It just it, Sooner or later, someone's going to change the rules so they can't be that yeah. dominant. Um, so incremental or secondary innovation. I need to ask you a question about this in a minute. Yeah, James. of course. Um, incremental and secondary innovation, a series of small improvements to an existing product or product line that usually helps maintain or improve its competitive position over time. Um, so in complete contrast to disruptive or primary innovation, this is about small things, lots of them, and over a long period of time, constantly, iteratively moving through a process of change and improvement. Um, and very similar to that is continuous improvement, which is a phrase I think quite a lot of us hear quite yeah. a lot. Lots of people's jobs got shifted over to continuous improvement, I think, a, a few years ago when they were thinking about research and development and actually quite a lot of that split into and you saw quite a lot of people moving into continuous, continuous improvement. And it's on every job application. It I really is. Every, every job description. Must have, a, must have a, con, a approach to continuous improvement, yep. ability to yep. innovate yep. through continuous improvement, which is, which is it's the new norm, right? It's yeah. the implication yeah. that no one it's is allowed changed. to just it's do always their improving. job. Yep. Everyone should always be looking for ways to improve themselves, which is you know good but exhausting as a world. Uh, so that definition is from Competitive Solutions Inc. They're getting a shout out. Yeah. Um, an ongoing effort to make incremental improvements to product services or processes over time. Processes are constantly audited and modified based on their efficiency, effectiveness and sustainability. The one thing I would say to Competitive Solutions Inc. is good people are constantly auditing and modifying yes. based on their efficiency. I see a huge amount of continuous improvement that has not been audited and therefore they end up uh, doing things again and again. Yeah. They go back. Why don't we? Why didn't we do this before? Oh, you did. You just yes, 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 yes. Because someone's left. Um, and then finally, uh, it, it's kind of been implied, but marginal gains philosophy. So the most common place people will have heard this recently is around the success of British sport, mm-hmm. which was trailblazed by sort of Delve Brailsford bringing it to popular um, awareness. Yeah, Certainly not from him. Yeah. But um, Team Sky originally, yeah. and then he moved into British cycling as well. Um, and hold, held actually both places and it, it's been hotly hotly debated recently because there's been this, this huge contextual stuff around the way that cycling has been successful uh, namely that they um, they operate in a very uncompetitive market of sport so they, they operate in a sport that's got high costs to get into yeah it. big barriers yeah there's very few there were very few co- uh, countries competing in it at that point um, and it requires you can make improvements because it's technological so it's got bikes in it right it's yeah. not just about improving yeah. the athlete so it's quite contentious but it, the, uh, his principle is that um, there is a 1% gain that can be made Yeah. and that ultimately is what the philosophy is it's about finding those tiny margins and when you're operating at the top level his argument is that effectively that's where you will find the difference the irony being of course that um Actually, British Cycling's previous success had been on Chris Boardman, who'd been a disruptive innovator. So he'd created a brand new bike and style that yeah. no one had ever done before, and he completely ripped apart the concept yeah. of how cycling worked. Yeah. So partly, I'm really interested in that because I think there's a juxtaposition around which one comes first and which ones come in and out of fashion in a sector, depending on what's happened recently. Yeah. So I think there's an element of looking around and saying, well, okay, if it's been disrupted so much actually right now what everyone's looking for is let's let's finesse that let's fine-tune that disruption so yeah. we get better and better and better until the point where there's re- it's really difficult to find a, a competitive advantage and then you start the whole cycle again yeah um so anyway james has created i i feel like i should let you read this one out oh uh, i know it's rare okay or do you want me to do it uh, you, you can go ahead and okay, do so it. <laughs> i want to be really clear this is james marginal gains uh, philosophy my own personal belief go and read some stuff about how Dave Brailsford approached it because they often define it but I quite like this the objective of generating very small improvements across many metrics leading to a significant overall improvement in performance so that's James's the only thing I would contest around that is it's not always it, it, uh, the, probably the key word for me in that is significant so it doesn't have to be big so it's not yeah. significant in yeah, the yeah, terms yeah. of what you and I It doesn't I need to be absolute, but it needs to have an All impact. it has to be is significant, as in it is a shift in where you were to where you are. Yeah. And that could be 0.01 in your sector. Yeah. So this concept of you are only looking for the, the foot 
that helps you get over the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can win by a nose, as they say in horse racing, you right? You can. Yeah. And, and although, no, not with cycling, because your nose isn't in your head. No, no. You can, you can win by a few other things, though. Um, when mostly you, plastic. When you were just chatting there, I was thinking back to... Do you remember the Olympics in, I think it was Sydney, when they brought in the new swimming... Uh, the costumes the swim, swimming costumes that then got thrown out that got thrown out so that was a big sort of technological disruption to a sport that changed it yeah. and then they had to pull it back and for me that's where um, that is the best possible example you could have put picked of where my fascination with innovation comes yeah. which is at what point particularly technological mm-hmm. um, innovation because at what point does the technology disrupt the existing in this case sport yeah to a point where it is no longer holding to the premise of what it is yeah. enough that people feel subscribed to it. Yeah. And so, you know, it, 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 in some senses, the, the, fight, the fight against drugs in sport is the same. Yeah. Because it's about, it's as much about saying, well, this is what we want it to look like. And I think sports uniquely place that because it's entirely based on people having faith in it. Yeah. Right. It, I, it's very, there's very few politics, maybe the other thing. Yeah. So one of the things I think that's really interesting around innovation and politics is around uh, electronic voting. Yeah. And yeah, distance voting yeah, yeah, electronically. Yeah. How do we believe? And we how can, can we believe? Work. And will it damage what we do such that voting will actually drop because no one be- believes it or will it improve it as they yeah. want to? So yeah. And part of that is, is, you know, back to leading change and innovation as a change process or adopting to new innovations as a change process in itself. So the people that need to use whatever the innovative technology is in a technological example, need to go along the journey of getting used to it and exploring it and being comfortable with it for it to be effective. Yeah, and I think I think it's well. We'll get on to well, let's get on to the research because yeah. actually I think um, we get we we could get we could, yeah we could we and could actually do. want to stick to the research first and get everyone to the same place as us before we carry on. Yeah, so so let's do a little bit of research. So what um, what we're going to talk about in the research roundup today is we're going to speak a little bit about the distinction between you know what Jane described as primary or disruptive innovation and then secondary or continuous innovation and we're going to tell you a little bit of uh, some of the differences between them we'll talk a little bit about um, the types of things that you might have seen or heard of in those different areas we'll run through a few examples of the impacts or um, you know uh, ways that disruption in action presents itself and we'll speak a little bit about the role of leadership and the role of culture in these different areas of, of innovation. So if we start out and, and we think about the difference between incremental and disruptive innovation, they, they occupy sort of different spaces within the competitive landscape that organizations and individuals exist within. If we start with the incremental in innovation, what's really happening with this is, is you're trying to make an existing way of doing things a little bit better. Um, it, it tends to have very little impact on your overall market. It's a, it's a slight change and it tends to have very limited technological progress. So you're refining the things that you have. Maybe you change a little bit of your architecture, you change some processes, you do teeny bits of automation, things like that, but it's not a fundamental change to your technology. Um, so it's got limited market impact and it's got limited technological drivers behind it normally. Now coming with that means that it's actually fairly low risk because you're not really changing things. And associated with that low risk is the fact that it's generally fairly low return. So you'll make some changes, but it's fairly low return. So that's your incremental innovation. If we then speak about your primary innovation, your disruptive innovation, and it's called primary because it's, it's the, the first of bringing something new to, to your market. What we find is that primary innovation tends to have associations with fairly large technological changes, um, and it tends to have really large impacts on markets. So this is disrupting markets. This is the type of change that sometimes forces obsolescence or restructures hierarchies within market um, organizations. And again, you know, conversely to the incremental innovation, disruptive innovation tends to be fairly high risk. You'll probably come up with loads of ideas before you find one that really succeeds, but the return for that risk is huge. Uh, increasingly, we're almost in a winner-takes-all environment. So if you think about some of the new organizations that are out there that have implemented new and disruptive technologies successfully, they've really taken huge amounts of market share and are really market leaders. So we're almost in that winner-takes-all takes all, um, uh, sort of paradigm, I guess, if you will. One other thing I wanted to say is that when we spoke about the definitions earlier, 
we talked about you know uh, incremental innovation taking place up to a point and then maybe an organization or industry being disrupted i i actually think that this all happens at the same time so people are always trying to incre incrementally innovate it just gets harder to do so the more that you've refined the process but i think throughout the life cycle of any technology or product people are always trying to disruptively innovate um, and I think that's the case because quite often people don't really know what they're trying to disruptively innovate. So technology and pure science is progressing. And then at later stages, it gets absorbed into uh, industries and organizations and ends up being disruptive. But it's not always disrupted in a specific area for which it was intended in, in its um, production and design. So for me, that's kind of a distinction between uh, incremental and disruptive uh, innovation. Have you got any thoughts on that? Any reflections on that? Oh, you always ask that question. Yeah, and I, I do. always think, oh, should I say anything? So I'm, um, I really struggle with this. Yeah. As a as a dividing line, and so, um, so for example, on the slide that you've um, you've done, and guys, as always, um, with topics like this where we're talking about some quite some, we're going to move on to some sort of relatively detailed stuff. The slides are really helpful, um, but so where there is a where where we're drawing a very clear group of innovative behaviors, concepts, whatever they are, disruption um, versus disruption incremental, I really struggle because I don't think it's as straightforward as that. And I think you've alluded to it in what you were saying around, you know, the idea that you can be incremental and quite often disruption comes from something that might be incremental yeah. and it's not. I think, um, I honestly think that aside from this very recent labeling of disruptive technology of firms that are going out to seek to disrupt the market, mm -hmm. I don't, think it's as clear cut. I think there's a lot of people, a lot of um, developments that are happening where people are just trying to run great businesses and do better. And they're not saying, they're not going out thinking, I want to be disruptive or I want to be incrementally great. Although they are at the moment because that's a new thing. Yeah. I think for a lot of the time they were just looking for opportunities and they were looking at what they do. And I think, um, I also think that it's not to get to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Come on. Big idea-y. Yeah. That's not the word, by the way. esoteric or something no, like that? Not quite, but I'll come to it. But not to get too, um, too big idea-y, but ultimately what we think is disruptive now, we may view 100 years later as being only very much uh, sure. a, a period. So, for example, this idea that um, uh, Airbnb have completely disrupted the hotel industry we may have such a different concept of travel or of enjoying locations that we may look back a hundred years time and go disruptive that's not disruptive that's just changing the way you book it yeah, you know, yeah this yeah, is yeah. disruptive yeah, yeah. and actually you know we're all hanging in the air in our own bubble that we take yeah, yeah. Like, or, I don't we're know. all just living in our little vr world or whatever yeah, so exactly. we don't travel at all and right? so or... and so there is a little bit of me that i always and i know i know you hate this but i mm. always wonder about how much this is about marketing yeah. i always wonder about this is how much is someone trying to sell me an idea that they are new and shiny and clever and yeah, different. Yeah. Are they really? Don't know. So, so I think disruption as a sort of zeitgeisty word is, yeah. is right. I think you're right about that. And I, and I think I'd agree that the aspiration to disrupt is fairly new. And it's kind what? of market buzzy, isn't and it? And right? also, do you know what? Generally, since when this is disruptive become a positive word, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, all of the truly great change processes I've been involved with, whether they've been big or small, They've never felt disruptive. Yeah. They've never felt shouty. They've never felt, they felt exciting and energized. And the big one, whether they're big or small, they felt like they're bringing people alongside them. And I just, yeah. I, 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 you know, I just, it, it smacks to me of someone sitting in a marketing room going, oh, we're so disruptive. Look at us changing everything. We're yeah. so proud. Yeah. And, and, you know, historically, I think disruption occurs when people are just trying to make a really good product. And if it happens to be disruptive, great, but it's about product first, I think, in lots of Yeah, instances. and you know what? I, I, we're going to get on to something a little bit later. And when we were discussing it, so those of you who don't know, James and I talk about stuff in advance. So um, just to make sure that we I understand some of the ideas, because sometimes I don't. And Likewise. <laughs> uh, one of the things that is really interesting that is that I now, have you having said that, understand completely what you mean about the role of science. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, which we'll get on to later, but this idea that actually... People are doing, this is what, I, I mm. guess this is what I mean about the differentiation. I don't believe the really good innovators in this world sit in a room thinking, am I looking for a marginal gain or am I looking for a big disruptive? They're not. They're focusing yeah. on what is the problem they're trying to solve in the world with their product yeah. or service. Yeah. And therefore, 
how can we make it better? Yeah. And sometimes they'll be looking big and sometimes they'll be looking small. Yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. it'll be reactive yeah. and sometimes it'll be proactive. Yeah. We could divide them like that. Yeah. It's arbitrary, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, rant over. Cool. So, so that is, <laughs> that's a lesson to me in asking what you think about stuff, See, right? See, <laughs> why don't you learn? I always It's learn. always interesting. It's always interesting. Um, okay. so, so that is a bit of a reflection on um, incremental and disruptive innovation. What we're going to speak about now is a little bit more detail about these two different areas and then we'll talk a, about a couple of examples of this happening uh, over the history of um, I guess modern life so let's look a little bit at incremental innovation what you know what we're saying with this is that you know, we're trying to work to make the things that we have a little bit better so let's make stuff a little bit better and all I want to do is with this is to call out that you might have heard of other phrases that basically link to incremental innovation so we've got you know all kinds of things like continuous improvement sit within here um, Kaizen, you know, sort of Japanese, Japanese philosophy of always improving sits in there. Lean does. Things like problem solving contribute to this. Things like, you know, reviewing end-to-end -end processes and trying to improve them sit in there. Product development can sit in here. Uh, marginal gains, black box thinking. Um, things like A-B testing. They all sit within this sort of incremental innovation. You're just testing different things, trying different things, measuring your effectiveness, and you try and make it a little bit better. So that's, that's really incremental innovation. When we speak about disruptive innovation, um, it tends to be kind of research-based, right? So where you're incremental, you can really achieve with hard work and focus and, you know, let's, let's analyze a process and make it a little bit better. Your disruptive tends to really be kind of research-led and it's fairly creative and it's kind of broad and it's trying to bring ideas from different places into, into your market so you can, you can come up with something that's fairly radical and different. And often there's a lot of luck involved. You know, a lot of the ideas that are developed in one area, in one arena, transfer into another market or arena and become disruptive for something that they were never invented for. And we'll share some examples of this in a bit. So disruptive innovation is really about creating something that's totally new. And as we said, it tends to disrupt markets, disrupt your, your sort of um, competitive hierarchy within the organizations working in there. It tends to disrupt value networks within uh, marketplaces and it tends to force obsolescence. And We've got a list of a couple of things, you know, a couple of, I guess, inventions or innovations that have been disruptive. So um, the telegraph, I think that's a fun one. And I, I like it because, you you know, people talk about like the Pony Express, you know, riding their ponies across America in like whatever, three days to get across America or something stupid. But the Pony Express only really existed for 10 or 15 years, right? It was just a little blip. And then along comes the telegraph and that's gone. Um, things like production lines for automated um, for automobile production. So, you know, Model T Ford, that was a massive technological disruption. Computers, combustion engines, um, catalog sales. So things like Sears, Sears Roebuck starting to do catalog sales. Huge disruption. Um, the next catalog for those Brits who don't know what... Oh, yeah, the next one, about. yeah. Or, you know, similar to that is department stores. Right, Department stores were a huge uh, innovation and a lot of them came out of Paris and one of the or several great things about department stores was fixed price so you didn't have to haggle and an ability to return stuff and those are massive innovations in terms of retail models AI everyone will talk about it so we just say it we don't have really much to say on it the internet steel the printing press right talk yeah. about a disrupting innovation massive social disruption as a result of the printing press my, my personal favorite is always self-build furniture yeah, so, yeah, so IKEA. Yeah, yeah. No, but even before oh, IKEA, right, okay. back in the MFI days, those yeah, of you remember, okay. where you'd get your bits of your desk and they'd all, and you know, self-build for me is a fascinating thing because it, it completely disrupted logistics. Yeah, yeah. As yeah. transportation, yeah. you can suddenly get so much more in. Yeah. Um, and it became really efficient. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Fuel efficiency, environmental benefits. I'm big in, I love anything that's logistics based, anything that sounds like, wow, you can get so much more. Yeah. It's like filling a space, right? It's, it's efficiency. Better. It is, isn't and it? And you just look at people and go, why didn't we do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are we shipping around all this air? Yeah. Um, okay, so, so that was just a few things to think about in terms of disruptive innovation. We're going to share three examples of disruption in action. Um, just so you can kind of conceptualize some of the impacts that are there. The first one is really quite old and it's from, um, I guess, Middle Ages when in London, they, <laughs> for a while, they really didn't have bridges over central, um, over the Thames in, in central London. So what happened was a bunch of engineers and architects um, got permission to build bridges and started to build bridges. Now, people don't really think of bridges as a technology, but I guess really they are when you're looking at large spanning tidal rivers like that. 
And what happened when they started to build these was they had huge protests from the wherrymen. Um, and for those that don't know, wherrymen were the, um, the individuals who ran small boats up and down the river and more importantly, across the river. So there's a whole industry of people moving uh, other people from one side of the river to the other. And they are saying, well, we don't want this new bridge technology. Get that bridge away. What about our jobs? What about the impact on us? And despite the fact that, you know, we think of bridges as, you know, bog standard now and, and so on, they were thinking, oh, look at this new technology coming along, taking all of our jobs. Before you know it, we'll have no jobs left because the bridges will do everything or whatever it happens Someone's to be. Someone's going to fall off the side and then where will they be? Yeah. So yeah. that fear of technology, shall we say. Um, next one, jumping forward a little bit, um, sort of towards the Industrial Revolution, is the introduction of um, like spinning jennies and, and cotton, um, cotton industry equipment that led to the sort of Luddite uprising. So people come in and suddenly they're introducing new technologies that takes away jobs from individuals. It massively increases productivity, but it's really disruptive and people don't like it and they start to smash it up. And again, the same conversations that we're having now about AI happened back then about, you know, how am I going to have a job? What about my means of production? What about my living? And so on. Um, and then a, a more contemporary example of this is Uber and the taxis. Right? So all around the world you see or have seen um, taxi strike action or go slows or protesting um, because Uber's taking their jobs. Right, So Uber's disrupted that market, brought in something new and it's affecting their jobs. Although I do think it's an interesting concept because Uber particularly um i'm not sure how new the technology was i was using an app called crab certainly and i know uber was an american company so mm. it was in america a long time before that but there were apps where i could call a taxi from a number of firms yeah. and they i could choose which price and it yeah. would tell me how far it was and how re- reliable they were way before i'd heard the word uber yeah and what i think is really interesting is when uh, because my bet is like a lot of science there's loads of people working on things at the same time. It's not one structured company. Yep. It's just that one gets itself to a place where it can snap up the front. And I think you get that, like, with loads of scientists where they, you know, when you, like, someone says, oh, this is the person that founds it. Yeah, it's yeah, the person yeah, yeah. that invented it. And then someone goes, there was another guy. His name got knocked off because yeah, he didn't have yeah, enough yeah. money or yeah. he wasn't, didn't have a patron or they didn't buy it or he was too early. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love that idea that we have very short memories. Yeah. And, actually, and ideas have a moment in time, right? Ideas are a product. We'll speak la- later in another episode about the fact that ideas are all built on other ideas. So, you know, they, they tend to pop up independently across the world um, at similar times. I think the, one of the things with Uber is, you know, the innovation is not just the ability to call taxis remotely. It's about elimination of a taxi company and, and sort of changing it all into your mobile phone and being able to have independent drivers and then having the algorithms that let you track and allocate those jobs and do the pricing. What's interesting is whether at what point, so we talk about progress, but we never talk about what didn't get forward. Yeah. And so for me, what's really interesting is that I would argue that certainly the removal of organisations is actually dismantling of of labour constructs uh, and the way organisations work. And I would see that as a, a backwards move. Yeah. So if you think about society evolving and the way that labour banded itself together to protect itself against capitalists, yeah. capital owners, capital holders, um, that's that's been ripped out. Yeah. And I think it's really, really interesting to see flash forward because what, what the other two, we know where we are with it, yeah. right? We know what happened. We know that interestingly, the River Thames is still a hotbed of challenge around the people who own the rights to yep. detail on it but this is about public transport yep. so they still have ridiculous prices because they are able to control the, the, the water yep. despite the bridges um, so it will be really interesting to flash forward and see how that innovation sits within a context and whether it is indeed that or whether it's about something then yeah, the social forward. construct piece is interesting yeah, yeah. you know what's the sort of social and you know ultimately will, we, will it be viewed as disruption a hundred years from now yeah Never gonna. I'm not gonna find out unless they disrupt medicine. No, I think no. I think I think okay. So, but fifty years, all right? Yeah, fifty years. 50 all right, years. I'm with you on my, fifty years. On 50 my years. last week on this yeah, planet, yeah, yeah, when yeah. I'm deciding, you know, what where I'm gonna be. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing we'll I'm gonna check do. in for a check in for Uber. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, where are you now, Uber? <laughs> so there's a little bit of uh, reflection on disruption in progress. What I wanted to just touch on now was a little bit of. Um, a thought around the role of leadership and the role of culture in relation to incremental innovation and disruptive innovation. 
And as you know, as Jane said earlier, these are slightly arbitrary um, categorizations, um, but they are ones that are used. So we're just going to reflect on them a little bit. So I guess first, if we think of things that leaders can do, we have a role of leaders in supporting incremental innovation. So again, this is the continuous improvement, the, the marginal gains, making things slightly better, but not fundamentally changing what you're doing. Um, if we think about the role of leadership, some of the things that you can do as a leader are to agree a vision and a mission that captures continuous improvement, right? So by working with your teams to agree and construct your vision and mission statements so that they embed that ethos, um, that's a powerful thing to do. Embedding incremental in innovation into your objectives is another really powerful thing. With that comes the ability to measure um, and measure again and measure again. So understanding your uh, efficiency and processes now and then testing different ways to see if it improves it and then re-baselining your performance and measuring it again and then starting that process over again. So that data-driven measurement of, of performance is really important. Um, as a leader, publicly committing to incremental innovation is important. So say you're going to do it, set some goals, stick by them. Um, as ever, once you've committed a, a goal publicly, you need to constantly communicate it, right? So you need to keep letting people know that this is the direction you're heading. Um, as a leader, you need to also role model continuous improvement. So with that, it's it's you know challenging your own ways of doing things, but it's also celebrating when other people doing uh, do continuous improvement and calling out good behaviors, all that kind of stuff. Um, another really important thing is to make sure that you move towards standardization. So document your processes, have clear standards of performance in relation to the processes that your teams follow, and then challenge them and say what can we do to improve them. And you need to pay attention for to details for incremental innovation. Because it's about these marginal gains, a lot of the marginal gains come from details. So you need to be close to your details and have um, a, a really good handle on the minutiae of what's done. And you might not need that as a leader, but within your organization, you need to have that attention to detail if you're gonna improve things. Uh, you need to create often routines. It's, you know, one way to drive incremental innovation is about the efficient use of time. So routinization of process um, is a helpful way to do that. Another thing I call out for leaders is if you're going to look for incremental innovation, you really should hire for incremental innovation. So some people get motivated by finding, you know, a 0.06% savings in time or whatever. And some people look at that and think, really? I couldn't care less about that, right? So so some of it's about mindset and ability and interest, but, but do think about hiring people that will fit for what you're trying to do. Um, make sure that you reinforce good and bad behaviors within your team. Um, and, you know, a biggie for me is if you're going to work on uh, an incremental innovation model and you want to drive it, you need to give your teams the time to work on this stuff. So incremental innovation can be achieved with time and effort, um, but you need to give teams time and effort if they're going to do it. So for me, that's some of the leadership things around incremental innovation. And I think, yeah, and I think there's some really, really helpful tips in there because uh, and observations, because I think absolutely without question, the concept of documenting and the concept of creating routine behaviours that are about, so really simple stuff, uh, like building into a weekly routine an opportunity to look back and, okay, here's all our processes, what went well and what went badly, and what, yeah. what where should we be looking for the improvements? Because, you know, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack, this stuff sometimes. And I think if you know where you should be looking, you know where you you're, where you still believe you have margin, yeah. then you've got a much better chance of finding those small incremental things. Yeah. But you're right, hire detectives. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hire detectives because yeah. they are they, they are absolutely it, right? the sort of people, and I love that. It's the person who comes up to you with a spreadsheet and goes, "So I ran this three times because it's just there's something about this number that I feel like it could be different, and I'm yeah. not sure what it is, but there's something about the reason that it's always dropping. So I've just you know off my own back spent twenty minutes looking at something. Yeah. And this is what I found. Yeah. That's the that's the person it is. who helps you find yeah. those. And what you don't want is the big picture thinker who's trying to say. Well, strategically, we need to be somewhere else because they might get bored with some of the minutia. That and it's exactly about it. balancing it. So let's talk a little bit about the type of sort of cultural traits you might want or look for or try and create to support incremental innovation. And we've just called out a few things here. So we've said, you know, high attention to detail, that, that sort of focus on detail is important. You're kind of less 80-20 in this space than you are kind of 100-0, right? I mean, you really want to focus on the detail because... It's the marginal areas that you want your gains in. Um, you, you want a sort of culture of excellence. You really want to focus on making things as they, good as they can be. So there's not really space for sloppiness. 
And with that, you need to really be consistent, right? So you need your teams to focus on quality, which really is a priority for you. And your teams need to be focused on maintaining those standards throughout delivery. So it's really a, a sort of production-y type um, environment where quality and consistency and excellence is what you're after. Um, then another important thing is, you know, you're, you, when you were just saying there about the person coming up to you and spending 20 minutes mm-hmm. improving something, right? Well, you want to have a culture where that's okay. So individuals at all levels, you know, everyone who's involved in doing stuff should be able to challenge it. And there's some great examples of that from, you know, sort of Toyota where, where individuals on production lines are all allowed to propose changes mm-hmm. and improvements. So everyone at every level should be able to challenge. Um, you also want to celebrate trying new things. So if somebody has an idea, if somebody comes to you with that spreadsheet and says, hmm, I think this is better, you should say, well, let's try it. That's great. It's fantastic that you've done that. And you welcome the ideas from everyone that's there. Um, It's important to, in this type of space where you're looking at small incremental changes, to make sure that you understand if your changes help. So you need to focus on your metrics and measurements, as we spoke about earlier. Uh, And you really do need to be data-driven in your decision-making. Because at this stage, you know, half a percent here or there makes a difference. So you need to understand if you're getting that. Um, You should be valuing routine as well. So that kind of routine type focused environment is what you're looking to create. Um, It's more likely that this type of culture would support a bit of directiveness because it's a little bit more procedural than some others. And with that, it can also be slightly hierarchical as well. Um, Though, you know, I don't really stick up for directive or hierarchical in most um, walks of life, I think if it's anywhere, this sort of procedural process type area is a reasonable place for it. Um, here, you also tend to find value in fairly deep knowledge. So people become process experts and they become really deep in their knowledge. Uh, and that's sometimes more important than breadth of knowledge because they're trying to you know, really drill down and understand specific processes and products and things like that so that they can make those marginal increases. So that value, um, valuing of depth of knowledge is important. Um, and the last point for me is, is kind of a call out of some things earlier, which is about really creating a, a culture of pride and quality and consistency and improvement. Mm-hmm. So there are just some sort of reflections on culture. I think, I think they're really good. I think two things I would just say about that is, one is, um, I think you make a really interesting point about... Um, the attention to detail and the process-driven people. And the one mm. thing I would challenge to those of you working with bigger teams is the detective doesn't have to be the problem solver. And quite often, um, one of the things you might find, if you've got a team of really process-driven, brilliant people and someone's struggling, just have a look at that person and see if actually that person isn't great at doing the process, but is great at finding solutions or spotting the problems. Yeah. Because quite often, so I've had, I've had a number of... Um, teams where they've been doing the same role like customer service or something like that and if you pull one person out because they're not very good turns out what they are brilliant at is figuring out what's wrong they just can't do it themselves because they've got no consistency ability and so interestingly it can be a real problem in process driven teams where they're also good at being consistent they really struggle with some of the problems yeah Yeah, you're right absolutely right great call out that mix of skills and um, working styles is really useful So let's talk a little bit about the sort of primary or disruptive innovation. And if we talk about roles of leadership here, some things you can do as a leader, um, you know, to to, to work in this environment well and to create environments that support disruptive innovation, it's it's often important to remove sort of fear. So it needs to be a quite um, fear-free and um, open type of working environment. So trying to take out that fear is helpful. Um, Building diversity in so different mindsets different experiences different knowledge um, and creating an inclusive environment where those diverse individuals can be uh, be their best is really important so building diversity and inclusion willingness to be really radical is important in leadership Um, so is fostering a psychologically safe environment which links into the inclusion something that's really important in this type of space is just getting out of your team's way so often if you're trying to do this stuff you've got smart people who are trying to do really good things, you should just get out of their way. It's hard to do, but it's important. You should provide stimulation for your team. So help them maintain you know, creativity and get new ideas. Um, a big role of leadership here is removing barriers. So getting rid of bits of bureaucracy, getting rid of things that slow people down and that distract them from the core things that they're trying to do. 
leaders should role model constant curiosity. Um, and role models should also help join the dots between their teams. You'll have different people looking at different things. And part of your role in leadership is pulling people together and connecting the ideas and the individuals. Um, I touched on incremental innovation in incremental innovation, hiring for that type of mindset. Well, the same goes here, right? So if you're looking for disruptive innovation, you should hire the type of people who enjoy working in this type of environment. So, so try and hire for it. You need to listen to everyone as a leader. Um, you absolutely need to support your teams with side projects and try and build that in so that everyone in your team gets, I don't know, 20, 10, 30% of their time to work on their own side projects. You should support an experimentation-based approach to working as well. You should test new things and trial them, get a hypothesis in there, you know, change your ways of working, test it. Uh, you should celebrate um, failure, provided you learn from it. So failing fast, seeing that as a positive thing, learning the lessons and moving on is important. Um, and as I said earlier, connecting people is really important. And then there are two other things I'm going to call out here but I think are important if you're looking for disruptive innovation as a leader. One is you've got to keep the show on the road, right? So you're doing all this great stuff, you're thinking about stuff, but there's always routine stuff that needs to happen. And in a really innovative team, a lot of people aren't going to be doing a lot of that or aren't going to instinctively want to do that. So you need to make sure that you focus on get, keeping the show on the road and making sure that it's, it's all progressing. And then there's also a need for somebody to turn all these ideas into products. You come up with really good things, and people say, oh, that's great, and you've got a good thing, but it still needs to translate into something that's actually useful. So that process of turning it into products is important. Um, so those were just a few bits there. I know that you had some thoughts about um, knowing when to let go of something, uh, so there's some cost, yeah, so, and a bit around risk as well. Um, two, just two things that I um, I think really can be valuable to leaders in, in a situation where they're trying to create disruptive innovation. One is about... Um, developing a appetite for risk so um, making sure and, and to some extent hiring for it as well you're looking for the people who are happy with um, investing a lot of time and effort and potentially money into things and recognizing that yeah rewards could be great but they could be zero and I think yeah. you, know, you see that in startup all the time with people who are prepared to take jobs in organizations that have no security and I think the other thing for me and this is a really big one is letting go of stuff when you know if everyone's is a leader, if everyone's invested in an idea and it's not working, and you know it's not working, it's up to you to get them to not just fail fast but accept it really quickly. Yeah. Because actually, I think quite a lot of the time in the startup world, and actually generally with disruptive innovation, you know, you know I, my favourite example would be the NHS in Britain trying to digitise all of their records. Yeah. And just throwing money after it decade I, I, I want to say back in the after, 80s but I think yeah, it's decade yeah. it after is, it decade is, uh, 80s, um, early 80s not accepting that whether the idea was brilliant or not it was not feasible in the context of mm -hmm. where we were as an industry and as a sector and as an mm -hmm. organisation and as a country etc so for me that's about as a leader you've got to be the one that doesn't get carried away and you've got to step back and say hang on doesn't matter how brilliant this idea is there isn't a market for it yeah Cool. So that's a little bit of thinking around, you know, leadership for disruptive innovation. We're just going to blast quickly through culture for disruptive innovation and come on to our list of the week. So some sort of cultural things to think about. Um, fearlessness, uh, experimental, often slightly alternative. Um, there's a piece that you touched on earlier that I think is important, which is about valuing ideas for the sake of ideas. So that sort of purity of concept, I think, is important in this space. Inclusive, um, flexible and risk tolerance in there. Uh, often you want sort of empowered and autonomous um, cultures, uh, fairly non-hierarchical, agile in terms of their ability to deliver and to shift focus to new things, psychologically safe, supportive. Uh, it's helpful to try and get sort of cross-disciplinary cultures, um, high levels of curiosity, fairly sort of liberal and unconstrained in terms of um, thought and, and structure. Uh, quality of voice is important, tolerance is important. We talked about celebrating failure and learning. Um, and again, just to close off, about sort of almost valuing the purity of science and technological progression for itself, almost irrespective of application. Mm -hmm. And so one of the roles of leaders is to turn those ideas into products. But a lot of the innovative people are just doing the ideas because they've got a really great problem to solve. And that's what they want to do. So you want to sort of promote and encourage that. And that's, I guess, it for me in terms of reflections on culture for disruptive innovation.
Well, thank you, James. I think that's probably the most, of all of our podcasts so far, and this is contentious, mm. I feel like that's the most well-rounded research roundup in the sense of I feel like I've got a really rounded picture of cool. where this stuff sits, so thank you. Good. I hope it's helpful. Yeah. And also, you know what? I think I might, I might have annoyingly, as you always do, challenged a couple of ideas I've got and maybe made me think differently about something. So for those of you who um, aren't, uh, didn't pick up earlier, the, the last piece that James was talking about, about the uh, purity of science and that tending to be something that you see within leaders of highly disruptive, successfully disruptive organisations. I wasn't sure about that. I was like, hmm, but actually I think that's very true. And I think um, I think when you tie it with that concept of curiosity, curiosity for curiosity's sake, yeah. then I, I it becomes very clear to me what you mean by that. Cool. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Okay. This is the week? Yeah, do you want to run Okay, to? so I'm going to call out this the week because it's called Four Traits of Highly Innovative People, but I think there are eight traits here. Oh, there are. Um, <laughs> Maybe there are. Because they're in pairs. But I, I understand why, and I hope you will too. So the first is uh, around uh, being curious and challenging. So innovative people are always asking why and how. They challenge assumptions, the status quo, if there are better ways to do things, and if there need things to be done at all. Um, they're willi- willing to be really radical with their questioning. Um, and, and I would add, and sometimes make people uncomfortable in that. Yeah, definitely. Um, there is, without question, a beautiful thing when you watch someone who is very innovative start questioning someone who's really good at process and is very slightly defensive of their process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because a you challenge, can see, isn't it? Yeah. You can see, and the, the, because they're both skilled people, they pretty soon they get past it, but it is a joyful moment. Yeah. Number two is learning and connecting. So innovative people are always looking to learn. They build diverse networks to learn from. They gather a wide range of sources, pursue a wide range of interests, develop deep and relevant knowledge, and bring divergent ideas together. And for me, that's crucial. It's it's the bringing together of ideas where the magic happens. Um, they're connecting what they're hearing and the problems they're um, noticing with um, the ideas of how they can bring those together. So third, dedicated and passionate. Um, innovative people are always passionate about what they're doing they might not show it and I think it's really important yeah, to notice that so I was reading uh, when I was looking through this I was like mm, they are passionate they just it, it doesn't mean that they're big and effusive about it it just know that it matters to them yeah. um, they follow their genuine interest in what they do they persist in the face of setbacks uh, and constantly strive to create and I think what's really interesting about that is when you see a highly innovative person in the wrong job or in yeah. the wrong organisation that's when it becomes really toxic yeah. because actually they're desperately trying to create and people don't want to hear that Yeah. and finally experimenting and testing so innovative people are always trying new things they hypothesise they test new ideas they experiment and measure their results they follow the data and change and iterate until they find success and oh I could go on and on about following the data so f- having a nose for something I think is is just so critical in yeah. People having a nose for when something looks out of joint. Yeah, it's just not quite right, isn't it? Or it is right and nothing else is. Or it's just thrown off a pattern. So the the bit that always drives me um, crazy is I used to I used to have a a relationship with some uh, someone in work sense that was brilliant and um, but she wasn't curious when when things went wrong and it drove me it drove me batty. It just drove me absolutely mad. I would be like going round in circles going. But this went wrong three times. Did you not want to fix it? Yeah. And she's like, well, it's not, it only takes me 10 minutes to redo it. And I'm like, no. But the principle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The principle is don't you want to know why it's not working and whether anything else is going yeah, wrong? Yeah. No, not interested. No, nope, just do it. Right? She's just like, just get on. Let's, and you need people like that. Yeah. You need to just change You need that out. mix. You need that mix. So uh, just a reminder curious and challenging, learning and connecting, dedicated and passionate, experimenting and testing. Cool. All right. So that gets us through our list of the week. So that's four traits of innovative people. Do you want to jump in? Have you got any stories from a keyboard around innovation uh, that you'd like to share? I've got quite a few. Um, and actually, sadly, the one I'm going to tell is um, about resistance to it. Okay. And about um, a leader who uh, got it wrong the first time. Actually, got it right the second time, so I'm allowed to tell the story. But yeah. effectively misunderstood... Uh, the control of who needed to be on board yeah. with the disruptive innovation because it was quite disruptive to a sector and it was about bringing the use of bringing software okay. into uh, into the sports sector and um, at the time there was there was a misunderstanding about who actually ran the sports sector and people sitting in jobs thought they did but actually the volunteers on the ground 
yeah. were the ones who actually ran it. They were the ones day in, day out, churning, entering data, yeah. uh, managing the situation, doing customer service, etc. And, you know, there was just a complete resistance to it because it wasn't well described, well explained, the benefits weren't introduced, and it was uncomfortable. And this so, is a new system, did you say? So it was a new digital system new digital. Uh, using technology to manage uh, sport, yeah. manage the competitions and the events. And um, it was just really uncomfortable. So they just said no. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. 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 They just said, no, we're not doing yeah. it. And they got together and went, nah. And, you know, the, you could just see, and I, I guess my point and my, my, my call out on this is to leaders, you could see a group of people with a leader at the front of them who could not understand because they did not recognise that, A, these people were not particularly of a disruptive approach. Uh-huh. They were much more about finding small individual sure, games. Okay. But also generally, they were very um, unconfident about uh, the ability of the disruption to improve them in any way. And yeah. they hadn't sold it. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. idea that you think you can bring something to market in, any, in any, any kind of market and just confidently put it in front of people you know, and I would argue that um, what were the what were the laser discs? Oh yeah, yeah. laser, laser discs would be a yeah, great yeah. example, right? Without question, acknowledged to be the best quality that, at the time yeah. that you could get, right? Did anyone buy them? No, yeah. because everyone just they got launched, going, look, it's brilliant, yeah. and we all went, nah. nah, it's too quick after the last one. I'm all right with my quality. My yeah. TV's not that good anyway, so yeah, I'm not going to be able to see anything. the difference. Yeah. And also, they look really unwieldy. <laughs> they look yeah. like records, and didn't we just ditch yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just I think they're good. that's a great sort mm. of thing of just not understand. You still have to tell people well it's good. Yeah, well, you can't just assume everyone to, um, understands. Goes back to our sort of leading change. Yeah, well, do you know what yeah, it is? So. It's really similar. It's a really similar place for it to be. But um, but what's I I think one of the things is um, that, that I've seen is quite a lot of innovation coming from what would be traditionally research and development teams or yeah. insight teams or technology teams or IT teams these days because of the nature of the world. Yeah. And the problem with that is that uh, quite often the marketing, the comms and the commercial don't understand what it means for the sector yeah. and the practitioners don't know how to make the two listen to each other and understand and therefore it goes out and then it just gets dumped yeah. straight away because everyone's like, ah, I don't want to do that, that looks awful, yeah, I hate yeah. that. Yeah. And so for, interest- for what's interesting about um, the philosophy around innovation, which is I think like a minimum viable product, yeah. that does not work when you are dealing with highly skilled um, small populations of people who have a really clear understanding of what they're expecting yeah, from the next iteration, yeah. and it's not that. That is, you know, that works for the the masses where you can afford to annoy half the population because yeah, you've still got half the market. And I'm also not sure. It sounds kind of heretical. I'm not sure how much of a long term strategy that really is. I think. I think it completely depends what market it is. Yeah. What, who you're competing against. You're not competing against anyone. There's no rush. Absolutely. Right. If you're competing everyone and you want to show people, give people a taste of what could be achieved. Yeah. Then I get it yeah, because yeah, actually yeah. all you're doing is getting someone to yeah. put your marker in the sand and say we're involved. Yeah. I yeah. think the problem comes when there's no competition and a bunch of it's a very well developed market and you're sitting there going and going ah oh, minimum viable product yeah. no no yeah, yeah. it just goes well I'm rubbish you're, you're you're incompetent is basically how it yeah, comes if across. you don't get it right yeah so that's uh that's my it's it's not so much as a lesson from the keyboard as a lecture uh, <laughs> to leaders of just don't forget to bring people with you yeah it all comes back to people doesn't it um so I've got a little story and it's not actually from work but I think it's really relevant to this and and I went on holiday a little while ago and I went to Petra um, in Jordan uh, amongst some other places. And what, what's happened in Jordan, uh, in Petra, is that for those of you, those of you that don't know, it's a, it's a large site. It's a, you know maybe three miles from one end to another. It's an archaeological site. It's got a main gate at the front, and you travel through it, and you kind of start at the main gate, go down through lots of different walkways, and end up at, at an end of it, um, and then you make your way back up. Um, and currently, the rights to transport people throughout the site are allocated out to. Um, a tribe called the Badul, which are kind of like Bedouin people. Um, and they've kind of divided up a right. So for the first bit, it's uh, you're only allowed on, I think, horses for the first bit. For the second bit, you're only allowed on horse-drawn carriages. And for the third bit, you're only allowed on camels. Right? So they've kind of divided that up. And that's the way the process works at the minute. Now, a couple of years ago, the site, the, the sort of oversight body for the site, set up a... Um, built a new road that would run from the end of a site up to the beginning again. And the, the purpose for this was that uh, as tourists, you could walk down, 
to the side, you could get your different lifts down and then you could get a bus back to the beginning and you've got a better experience, you've got more time, they get more throughput um, and things are just generally better. But what actually happened was that the Badul, the ones who run the transport, all protested against it because they were losing out on their um, their income from taking people back up to the to the introduction site to the you know the main site entrance. So they protested. They threw rocks and bricks at the um, at the minivans that were used when they were first put in place, and they burnt some of them. And they kicked up such a fuss that that new, I guess, sort of innovation in the small context of the road and the new route was actually closed and they're not going ahead with it. So for me, that's just a great example that links back to things like the wary men of old or smashing up the um, smashing up the, the spinning jennies and things like that. So this stuff is just, it's emotive and it's disruptive and it's hard. And as in your example, it's a real people thing. Well, and I think, I think there's a really interesting question about if you're going to go and disrupt something, right? Be understand that you are physically disrupting people's lives mm -hmm. and therefore at least have an ethical conversation with yourself about do you really believe this is fundamentally going to be better for everyone yeah. and also for those people and if it's not going to be better for those people you better figure out really quickly how you can offset something yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because there is a huge amount of innovation that goes on with no consideration of how so I, I'm, and I'm thinking about you know energy policy in Britain and things sure. like that where we've lost coal mines and actually you know most of the world have a think, right? Yeah. Have a think about your innovation. And yes, it may be that it's going to be the best thing in the world long term for the next generation. But one of the interesting things about climate change and the lack of action yeah. from the general population is there's a there's an inability for it for you to understand and people aren't prepared to live with the disruption that it would take for us, you know, the yeah, no yeah. flights and all of the stuff that we would have to do. And deep down that's what it is. It's a resistance to disruption. To yeah. Resistance to change, yeah. Yeah. So uh, interesting, definitely an interesting story. Yeah. Although, I, isn't it awful? I'm on the side of them, and I shouldn't be. Oh dear, it's also complicated. It's very right? complicated. Um, any last tips or thoughts from you? Uh, I'm gonna let you go first because I'm gonna reiterate what you're gonna say. <laughs> okay, so I guess for me, my my tip kind of similar to something that we said earlier, and it's about you know setting the right tone and really finding the right people. So when we talked about you know incremental improvement or disruption or all that kind of stuff, you can fit square pegs to round holes, but it's just better if you put, fit square pegs to square holes. So trying to hire for the, for the types of work that you're trying to do, trying to get people who are interested in the types of thing that you're trying to do, um, and get the right sort of mindsets and skills and experience for the roles that you have is, is helpful. Um, and like you said earlier, you, you need a, a blend and diversity in your teams, but just be conscious of who's in there and try and make sure you get the right people. That would be my tip. Yeah, and so following on from that, my tip would be the, all the best on both sides of that innovation scale that I've seen have had at least one person who's different yeah. because that's what creates it. And my, my, my plea, actually, to leaders is just keep, keep an eye on them. Keep yeah. an eye on them that they're not disrupting things so much that they're upsetting people. Yeah. And also keep an eye on them that they're not isolated because they're different. Yeah. So quite often that, that absolutely brilliant thing as a leader that you can have someone who is a little bit different is great. Yeah but then you need to just give them a little bit of extra care. Yeah. Because quite often um, the person that's fine calling out on the problems or the challenges, either big or small, yeah. is the person that's also probably not the most popular person sometimes. It can be the case. So so that's almost back to that diversity and inclusion type of It point is, it is. And it's, well. it's about, it's about you know, you talked about role modelling behaviours. And yeah. for me, that's, that's where you can absolutely nail it as a, as a team manager or leader. Yeah. You can be really clear about someone being valued for being different yeah cool well there's some final thoughts i think that's us getting to the end of what we do on this podcast so that's been um an overview of innovation a sort of introduction to innovation looking at primary or disruptive innovation and looking at secondary or incremental innovation um, exploring a little bit what those two different types of innovation are thinking about some of the impacts of particularly disruptive innovation on the world and looking at things that leaders can do, um, both in direct leadership of teams looking to continually or disruptively innovate, and, and looking a little bit at some of the cultures, uh, cultural traits that support that. Uh, then list of a week, we had a little look at some of the four or eight, depending on how you look at it, um, traits of innovative people, and then shared a few thoughts. So I guess that's us. Um, as ever, it's great to hear from you. Send us questions, notes, thoughts, anything like that. And then until next time, 
we're going to be checking out of here. So uh, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. See you guys. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.